0: Well, amen, amen. It is so good to see each and every one of you who've joined us today. So glad that you are here. And I wanna also say thank you to everyone who sang for us, amen? I wanna welcome you to week one of our brand new series, which is called Jesus Loves Me. And I wanna give you an offer that you may have never had before. If you have ever wanted to do karaoke in church, um, you're gonna have an opportunity, all of you here, All you have to do is go out to the lobby. Uh, Pastor Brian's gonna be out there and we'll make it super easy. Grab your spouse, grab your family, grab some friends, grab your life group. We don't care, it can be lots of people all together. Uh, But we're going to, throughout this series, kind of be introduced each week to the message with uh, some of our family uh, reminding us of this beautiful song on which our series is based, Jesus Loves Me. So here's what's gonna happen. Uh, for the next several weeks, we're gonna be digging into some Christian essentials. And the idea behind this series is, if you are in a room with no Bible, no internet, no books, no, no kind of outside help, and someone asks you, can you tell me what Christianity is about? I, 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 I wanna know, what do I have to believe to be a Christian? How do I access the power of God? Would you know how to answer? Would you know what to tell them? See, by the end of this series, what I'm praying is that you will know with confidence what to say. And what you're gonna be able to say and share with someone is gonna be summarized in the familiar words of this familiar song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, what's gonna happen over the next few weeks is each week we're gonna be walking through those words. We're gonna be thinking about what they mean. We're gonna be asking, well, what do you need to believe about Jesus to truly follow him? What do you need to believe about his love? What do you need to believe about yourself? What do you need to believe about the Bible? And this week, we're launching the series with a question. It's the so what question, does it matter? Does it really matter what we believe? This is a very important question because we live in a society where uh, people always are saying, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe. We all have our own truth. Just be kind, just be nice to everyone and everything will just kind of work out. But here's the question. Is that right? Does it really not matter what you believe? Do Christ followers need to care whether we get Christianity right or wrong? and that's what we're going to be talking about today because as Christ followers we believe what Romans 1:16 says Paul writes for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile so what's the gospel Well, the Greek word translated gospel literally means good news. And in the New Testament, gospel is really a summation. It sums up Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, that there's good news for everything that's broken in us, in our world. There's salvation, and it's in Jesus Christ. And we should not be ashamed of that good news Paul says, even in a world that constantly dismisses and often despises the good news, we should see the gospel as God's power, God's power that brings salvation. See, what we believe really does matter. Christianity is more than just one religion among many, more than just a myth that may make some people feel better. Believing in Jesus changes our lives because Jesus Christ connects us to the very power of God. See, what we have in Christianity, in Jesus, is true and it's real. We have salvation. Now, salvation, of course, means that our sins have been forgiven and we now have the hope, the promise of eternal life. This means we don't need to fear death. Amen? It means that right now, we can have abundant life, free life, life that's free from the power of of sin through God's power working in our lives. And and Paul is just telling us, this is the good news. It brings salvation. It brings it to everyone who believes. And God is offering that salvation to all people freely. Anyone can accept it, but you have to believe. You must receive the good news. And Paul is just telling us when we do that, it plugs us into God's power and it changes our lives lives. Now, here's the big idea for today, and you can write this down if you've gotten the message notes downloaded on the app. Christ messages the power to change our world and ourselves for the better. But how do we connect ourselves to that power? Now, most of us, um, we have, uh, I'm sure at different times, found ourselves with a phone a phone. Or maybe a a laptop that's running out of power. How many of you does that happen to every single day of your life, right? The the phone's running out of power. You're using your phone too much, right? Say amen. Um, Sometimes we run out of power. Sometimes the laptop that we have is running out of power. Have you ever been in a place where that's happening? You don't have a charger. Have you ever been in a place where like you have an iPhone, but the only charger around is your friend's Samsung charger and it doesn't work. Or maybe you have a PC laptop and the only one with an adapter power charger around is for MacBook and it, and it just doesn't fit. So, how do you access power? Well, Dana and I traveled to Europe in. 2017, I encountered an important principle about accessing power. Now, I'd I'd heard, I'd learned before we traveled that different countries use different electrical plugs, outlets, so I had bought this kit of adapters, several of them, that was supposed to cover everything, but guess what? We got to some hotel rooms, and it didn't. And I found I was in some places where I still didn't have the right plug to charge my phone or my laptop, and maybe you've faced that, kind of problem too when you traveled internationally. Different countries use different power outlets. Sometimes they look like this right here. Sometimes you're holding a plug like that and sometimes the outlet looks like that. And you can find yourself in a place where all the power of an entire city's electrical grid is right there at your fingertips. But without the right charger the right plug, you, you can't access it. And what we can learn in a moment like this is this, accessing power is not complicated. I mean, any child can plug something in. It's not complicated, but it is precise. In other words, those three pieces have to be the right three pieces. And the Bible tells us something that very similar with accessing God's power in our lives. Accessing God's power is not complicated, but it is precise. So you can't just say I'm a Christian and, and automatically experience God's power in your life. There are several specific things that we all need to believe to actually be a Christian, to actually Plug into the power of God, the power source of the universe, to actually experience God's power, life, his life, his life changing power in yourself, both now and in eternity. And what this series, Jesus Loves Me, is all about is you knowing these things for yourself. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you ahead of time. Many uh, of you will have already heard everything I'm going to tell you, uh, most of it at least, maybe all of it of what we're going to study. You've heard it preached, you've believed it for yourself, but maybe, maybe you've not been able to confidently tell someone else what it is you believe. And my desire for you as your pastor is that you would, through this series, come to know in a better, deeper way the essentials of Christianity and you'd be able with confidence, to go through your life, and if someday, all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, someone says to you, like a coworker, "Hey, what do I have to believe to be a Christian?" Or maybe you're tucking your kids into bed at night, and they say to you, "I want to believe in Jesus. How do I do that?" In those moments, my desire, my hope is that you will know exactly how to answer. You won't have to look it up in a book. You won't have to call a friend, ask someone else. It's all summed up in that very familiar little song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I'm just praying that as we study together, you'll simply be able to walk through each of those words and explain them. Uh, You'll be able to say, well, here's what Jesus means. He's fully God and he's fully man. He's not just a good teacher, but he is God's son who's come to earth as a human being. What does it mean that he loves us? Well, it means he willingly went to the cross to die in our place. He didn't just say words. He he, he showed his love with actions, dying on the cross, then rising from the grave. And then that word, me, he loves me. It means I have to believe some things about myself. I have to believe that I've sinned and I need salvation. I have to believe that I'm made in God's image and sin has ruined that image, but God wants to restore that image through his forgiveness and his help. And, And then that phrase, this I know, that I have trusted in Jesus for my eternity. I've said to him, God, I need you, I need your salvation, I need your forgiveness, and I'm trusting in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins. And then for the Bible tells me so, that I make the Bible the standard for what I believe and what I do in my my life as a follower of Jesus, that that word of God that keeps me connected, plugged into the power source. And so we're going to be studying this on Sundays. We're also going to be uh, studying this in many of our life groups. And our study is based on this book, uh, "Jesus Loves Me." It's written by John Dickerson, a, a pastor in in Indiana. And we're making some copies available to purchase after the service, or you can get them. Online, and you can you can also um, uh, participate by reading uh, this book as we're going through. But I want you to know it's not a mandatory part of engaging really fully uh, in this series. We're also providing something that you uh, should have received on the way in. If you didn't get one of these. It's a summary card uh, that summarizes in a very succinct form, both sides of this card, the message that we're gonna be uh, going through in this series. You can get one of those if you didn't get one when you go back out. And this is kind of a, a spoiler alert, okay? Because, uh, by the way, the essentials of Christianity, they're, they're, this is not a new thing, okay? Uh, they've been pretty well known, pretty well taught for uh, 2,000 years or so, right? And, and it's not like you have to come back next week to find out, you know, we're, we're putting it all out there. Uh, but this series is about you knowing these things with confidence and so we're giving you kind of a tool card that sums it up and each week we'll be coming back uh, to this because repetition aids learning. And, and here's what I, I think, by the end of this series if you're here every week you'll be in a place where you can not only recite these words, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but, but you can know the significance of each word and you can also know how to share those truths with others. So here's the question. Here's the question we're gonna be asking today because some of you maybe right now are saying, okay, uh, Mike, I get it, you're a pastor. Um, of course, you care about getting Christianity right. That's what you do. But... Why does it matter for me? And so let's ask this question. Does it really matter if we get Christianity right? And I want to come at this question in a very specific way. I want to come at it by dealing with what is maybe the most fundamental objection that people in our culture have to Christianity. It is an objection rooted in the way almost everyone in our culture thinks, where you work, where you live, a lot of people in your extended family. It is actually the way a good number of those here today may think, some of you. Sometimes without realizing it. And we live in a society that's religiously pluralistic. And those are a couple big words that just mean there are many cultures and many faiths all around us. In fact, don't we see that every day out here in the valley in our suburb of 92,000 people? We also live in a culture that's committed to what's called philosophical relativism. And that just means that most people don't think that any sort of absolute truth exists. They think truth is relative. Relative. What's true for me may not be true for you. Everyone needs to find their truth, right? You do you, I'll do me. And in our culture, tolerance has become the supreme virtue. It's kind of an interesting thing in our culture. We don't really believe in sin, right? If you talk about sin, people looking you kind of funny. We don't really believe in sin as a concept, but we do believe so many people in the sin of intolerance, right? I mean, about the worst thing you can do at work or at school is to tell someone their beliefs are wrong. Correct? And so we have here this 2,000-year-old this belief system that clearly is all about getting some beliefs right. We follow a man whose name is Jesus, and Jesus said this, John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus not only claimed to be uh, God, he claimed he was the only way to God, not one way, the only way. And so before we begin laying out these Christian essentials in these next few weeks, I wanna explore this idea of truth and exclusivity today. And instead of just doing that abstractly, I wanna do it concretely by looking at this very important, very specific question, and it's simply this, is Jesus the only way to God? Because if Jesus isn't the only way to God, then getting Christianity right, it doesn't really, really matter. not only has Jesus said what he said in John 14, 6, but Jesus' followers have always believed these. I'll give you an example of this. It started to show up right at the beginning of the life of the church. This is an important verse, Acts four twelve. 12. Uh, the apostle Peter said this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so we're asking today, can we really believe that in 2021? If we say we do, don't we seem arrogant, intolerant? Doesn't it seem like, you know, we don't really care about all the people all over the world who sincerely practice their religions in their own way? And worse than that, maybe it seems like we're claiming God Himself is intolerant, that He has set up a system where most people kind of end up getting tricked into an eternity in hell. Now, the Bible recognizes how difficult this question is. First Peter 2:8 refers to Jesus as a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The scripture writers knew that this exclusive claim of Christ trips people up. It offends people. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've been a pastor for 35 years and it kind of offends me too. And what I mean by that is I don't really like this doctrine There's a part of me that thinks sometimes it would sure be nice to say, hey, everybody gets to go to heaven. Not all dogs, just all dogs, but all people, right? And I could make everyone happy. But I want today to help you see the real question is not, is this idea comfortable, but is this idea true? Do all roads lead to heaven? Or is Jesus right when he said he was the only way? Now, you might be surprised. I think many people don't know this, but Christianity was actually born into a world, the world of first century Roman Empire, very much like ours. It was a very religiously pluralistic world, maybe even more than ours today. The Romans, kind of as a matter of official empire policy, said, we don't care what you believe. Believe whatever you want. Just say, Caesar is Lord. That was the world they lived. And the very first Christians had people telling them, you can't tell everybody what they have to believe. You better keep your faith to yourselves. You can't cl- keep a claim that your way is the only way. So Christianity was birthed into a culture much like what we are facing today. And I want us to see as we explore this that it really does matter. I want us to see that Jesus really is the only way to God. I want us to see that everything we believe rises and falls on this. And I want you to see, not only is this a reasonable claim, but it is also an essential part of true Christianity. In fact, I'll be so stark and blunt as to say, if you don't believe this, you don't understand Christianity. If you don't believe this, I'm not really sure that you can claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So, with that being said, to help us get uh, our way through this and think about it, I want us to look at three questions uh, that show us it matters, and there's really more than this. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you guys don't wanna sit for as long as everything I would have to tell you about this, and so I'm condensing so much, and there's so much we won't get to, but I think this will lay the groundwork for us. So here's the first question, you can write this down. Where did this claim come from in the first place? And it's so important we establish this. The answer is it comes from Jesus. Jesus clearly claims deity for himself. I mean, just listen to how he described himself. I'm gonna go real fast now. So, track with me, he called himself the son of god matthew twenty six sixty three the giver of eternal life john ten twenty eight the one who forgives sin mark two ten the bread of life john six thirty five. the giver of living water john four thirty four the true vine john 15 one the great I am john eight fifty eight the light of the world john eight twelve the door of salvation john ten nine and the savior of the world john three fourteen through sixteen jesus said i I am one with the Father, John 10 30. Jesus said, You reject me, you reject the Father, John 5.23. He said, rejecting him results in God's wrath, John 3.36. And he warned that he himself would be mankind's final judge, John 5:26 and 27. Now here's another one that will never win an award for political correctness. Jesus said, John 8:24, if you do not believe, that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. And that's about as absolute and intolerant and insensitive as you can get. I mean, put that on your Facebook page this afternoon and see what happens. <laughs> see, we've already read, we've already read what I would say are the most profound, clear expressions of this claim, John 14, 6, Acts. But there's so much more. 1 Timothy 2.5, the apostle Paul says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, just one. The apostle John, 1 John 2.23 says, no one who denies the son has the father, no one. Whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. And so what I'm establishing for you is the Bible makes consistent, clear claims about Jesus' identity. Why? Why does this matter? Why is this important? Well, to understand the Bible's claims about Jesus, you must understand this. So many people miss it. The identity of Jesus is the core issue of Christianity. Christianity. See, Christianity is not based on a series of teaching. It is based on a person. And here's what I mean about this. You can take Buddha out of Buddhism and you still have Buddha's teaching. Buddhism is still intact. You can take Muhammad out of Islam and you still have the teachings of Islam. The teachings are still there. But if you take Jesus out of Christianity, you have nothing left because everything he said, everything he taught took second place to who he was. Let I mean, just think about it. Why was Jesus crucified? For what he taught? No. He was crucified for who he said he was. You remember, go back and read about the trials. He was, he, they were grilling him, they were interrogating, him. they were trying to get him to say something and do something that they could charge him with and they couldn't find anything. And finally the high priest asked him, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of the blessed one. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am. I am. And the high priest said, what else do we need to hear? Crucify him. He has blasphemed. So what did Jesus do? Well, he claimed to be, and you can read the accounts, he claimed to be the son of man, which Jewish leaders knew was a claim to deity. That's why he was put to death. And you see, whatever you conclude you, you cannot escape the reality that Jesus himself was the source of these claims. There are more than 100 New Testament verses that indicate either explicitly or implicitly that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And no one for 2,000 years who has accepted the authority of scriptures has missed this. And by the way, that is one of the reasons why the people who deny Jesus exclusivity always start, always start by minimizing and eventually denying the authority of God's word. You can't have both. So with that established, is it true, is it not true? Well, let's look at some objections to this claim that Jesus has made and Christ followers have made for 2,000 years. The second question is, isn't Jesus' claim intolerant? And this is, I think, where so many people start today It's intolerant to say there's just one way, one truth. I mean, how can you write off, I don't know, like 80% of the world's population? Now, I wanna respond to this first by saying religious arrogance and intolerance and contempt for others is an enormous problem in our world today. And we cannot pretend that it isn't an issue in many faith contexts. And it is also true that some of the most arrogant, judgmental, self-righteous people around name the name of Jesus. See, part of the problem around this issue is us. And there are many of us who need to repent. There are many of us who have been arrogant, who, who need to practice the humility of the one who came to love us by being a servant and see how we, we treat the people who differ from us is incredibly important for, this, for the sake of the gospel, far more than for the sake of, of tolerance. I mean, if we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for the world, that means, among other things, he died for that person that we are looking down on in our arrogance, and that should change the way we see them and, and the way we talk about them, the way we treat people who differ from us. But here's the thing, our culture, has made tolerance the supreme virtue. Tolerance of any and all views is equally valid. That's what is usually meant. Being tolerant is anything, is everything. But, but what does that really mean? And I'm gonna put it this way. The truth is tolerance can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. You say, why? Well there are more than one kind of tolerance. And I'll say there's at least three kinds of tolerance, and I'll go through. And then the first is is legal tolerance. And in America, this has to do with our basic First Amendment rights, what we call freedom of religion, the right to believe what we wanna believe. And here's the thing you need to know if you've never realized, that there's nothing in what Jesus says that opposes that idea. In fact, you can dig this up, and it's really the truth. The idea of freedom of religion came from Christianity. Just keep that in mind. But there's nothing that Jesus ever said that opposes this. He, he never suggested that people shouldn't be free to decide uh, what they wanna believe for themselves. And by the way, don't forget, this is not true of all faiths. In many, many countries around the world, it is illegal to convert from whatever the official faith of that country may be. The second kind of tolerance is social tolerance. And this, this is, I think, what a lot of times people are thinking about. This is this accepting someone Regardless of what they believe, you interact with them in love. You can stay relationally open to people who differ from you. And again, there's nothing in Christianity that would stand against that either. In fact, think of Jesus. Jesus' ministry was marked by open, loving acceptance of people uh, because they matter to God. In fact, what did Jesus do in his ministry? He reached out to prostitutes. He reached out to tax collectors. He reached out to thieves. He did all of this because he was the friend of sinners. He loved everybody, and we should too. But the third kind of tolerance, let's call it intellectual tolerance. And what this means is we need to accept any and every idea as equally valid, good, and right, and true. And this is where the Bible draws a line. And this is where I think, in reality, so do you. In fact, everybody does, whether they realize it or not. I'll give you one real simple uh, example, kinda lighthearted, like if someone approached you and said, hey, you know, I believe that the best way for you to optimize your laptop's performance, you know, write this down, okay, um, is to remove your antivirus software completely, take down your firewall, and then feel free every day to open up every email from anyone, you know, who sends you something, especially the people you don't know, download all the free software you get offered, wherever you find it, it doesn't matter, just do that. That's a great way to optimize your laptop's performance. Now, you can be tolerant of that person legally, okay? And you can be tolerant of them relationally. You can still maybe have a relationship with them, but you don't have to buy into their belief about how you optimize your computer's performance, right? Because we all know, no one lives consistently in the way that everything is equally valid. We all know that certain points of view are not true. And so as Christians, we recognize the importance of legal and social tolerance, but we don't recognize intellectual tolerance. And and what has happened in the way most people use that word tolerance is all of those three uh, words and descriptions have been subsumed under this overarching idea of intellectual tolerance. Now, let's bring this back to the spiritual arena When Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, it wasn't simply a declaration. It was also, friends, don't miss this, it was an invitation. Jesus was not refusing anyone the right to believe differently, much less rejecting them socially or or culturally. Jesus was simply saying, I am the only way to know God. I am the only way to the Father. And you may think that this claim is intolerant. You may think that claim should be ruled out of bounds. But if so, I want you to consider a couple of things. I want you to keep some things in mind. First, do not forget who makes this claim. Can we already establish Jesus made this claim for himself? And do not separate this claim from the character of Jesus. Jesus. Remember as you reject this claim that it is Jesus who almost everyone everywhere recognizes as the greatest person who ever lived. It's Jesus saying this. It's Jesus, Jesus who showed unbelievable mercy to all people, Jesus who loved everyone like no one had ever loved before or since. It's Jesus who said this. And so put this claim into the context of Jesus' life before you rule it out of bounds. And then second, and I want you to pay careful attention to this, Second, realize what you are claiming when you say that all ideas and religions and lifestyles are equally valid. Here's how I wanna state it, and I'll put this on the screen. The, quote, tolerant claim that all ideas, religions, and lifestyles are equally valid is itself an absolute truth claim. Does that make sense? So the question becomes, is that claim true? Um, There's a poem written by a guy named John Godfrey Sachs. Um, It's often used to defend this idea that we should all be tolerant of all the religious claims in the world. We should all see them as having an equal claim to truth. And if you've been around at Southwinds long enough, you've heard me talk about this before. The poem is called Six Blind Men and the Elephant. And what happens in this poem, it comes uh, evidently from kind of an old folk tale. Um, most people think it, it originated in India. We don't know for sure. And six blind men are traveling along the road. They come on this elephant and they try to describe the elephant. And since they're blind, they can't see, they each touch a part of the elephant And each one concludes that the elephant must be like that part that he's touching, right? And so one of them touches the elephant's sides and says, the elephant is like a wall. And then one of them is touching the elephant's tusk and and feels the sharpness and says, oh no, the elephant is like a spear. One of them's got a hold of the tail back at the other end and says, no, it's like a rope. And it's kinda humid back here. Um, And then another one touches the ear and says, no, no, the elephant's like a fan. A giant Godfrey Sachs says they all touched one thing and they all thought the whole elephant was like the part that they had hold of. He said in his poem, each one disputed loud and long, although each was partly right, all were in the wrong. All of them were in the wrong except for one guy. One guy saw the whole truth about the elephant. Who was that guy? John Godfrey Sachs, the author of the poem. Do you see? Here's the problem. The claim that says no religion can know the truth about God, that's a truth claim. That's a truth claim. Science can't prove that. That is an article of faith. In fact, in itself, it really ultimately is a religious claim. But it's worse than that. I mean, think about this. In the poem... According to John Godfrey Sachs, Jesus, Muhammad, and Buddha are all the blind men who are mistaken, while the one guy that sees the whole elephant, that's John Godfrey Sachs. I mean, isn't it a little patronizing to say, you know, all religious leaders, all religious claims are wrong, but I know the truth, that all religions are equally valid. See, philosophically, intellectually, This is exactly what you are doing when you say to someone, you can't say that Christianity is true and other faiths are not. You're doing the very same thing you're telling them not to do, do you see? You are claiming that your point of view is the truth and your point of view excludes the people who don't agree with you. I mean, that sounds intolerant, doesn't it? So I want you to, we we need to think and learn to think clearly and, and, and think carefully about this claim of intolerance. And that leads me to follow up with a third question, and it's about, uh, what about other religions? Now again, uh, underneath that claim of tolerance, equal, valid ideas, is this idea that religions are all pretty much basically the same. I mean, how many of you have heard someone, someone say at some point in school, in your life, in your work, somewhere, yeah, you know, all religions basically the same. If you've heard that, would you just raise your hand? I mean we've pretty much all heard that right it's all we've had so many people say that and what happens is this most people point out the similarities which are usually right on the surface but there's a real flaw in the logic it's sort of like saying aspirin and arsenic are the same thing because they come in tablet form and see it's the differences that are critical now let me say a couple of things about this claim about other religions First, I just wanna state outright, all religions are basically not the same. They just aren't. And saying that is incredibly superficial and oftentimes disingenuous and ultimately disrespectful. Christianity, for example, stands apart from all other religions in one basic sense. All other religions, whatever they're teaching, say that the way to God, the way to bliss, or whatever they call it, is through some system of religious works or ritual in which you earn favor or goodness or blessing or life. Christianity alone stands in claiming that God himself did everything we need in order to know his acceptance. We don't search for God, God searches for us. Christianity is the only faith that says God saves you freely, and if you put your trust, put your faith in a person who did for you what you couldn't do for yourself, that's where life is. here's another thought. All religious claims cannot be equally true because they make mutually exclusive contradictory claims. And again, we could spend a lot of time here, but let me quickly give you some examples. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, so he either was the Messiah or he wasn't, right? Just humor me for a moment, say right. I mean, yeah, it is true or not. If he was, Christianity is right, Judaism is wrong. If he wasn't the Messiah, then Judaism is right, Christianity is wrong. But under no circumstances can they both be right. Are you with me so far? So here's another one. If God exists, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Different topic. But if he does, he's either an impersonal God or a personal God. And if he's a personal God, then Jews and Muslims and Christians are right and Hindus are wrong. But if he's impersonal, then Hindus are right and Jews and Muslims and Christians are wrong. And then if God doesn't exist, then Buddhists and atheists are right and all the rest of us are wrong. Does that make sense? Under no circumstances can all of these uh, beliefs be right. When you die, what happens? Well, you go to heaven or hell or you get reincarnated or you rot in the grave. lot of options presented by religious faiths but can we all agree you can't do all of those at the same time? You see, we could just keep going with more examples, but I I hope you see the problem. Religions make exclusive, contradictory claims, and it's foolish to say they're all ultimately teaching the same thing. It's just ignoring reality. You see, this isn't about which religion is true. I'm not stating that at the moment, this is just about the false claim that all religions are basically the same. Some people are still gonna say, yeah, I'm, okay, I, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that, but you know, we just can't get along in our world if people think their way is the right way. We have all these different faiths, we have atheists, secular people, agnostics, and, and if you say this, that your way is right, you're, you're never gonna have a peaceful world. The only way to peace is to say all religions are equally valid. And this is the assumption of our cultural elite in general. It's what your kids are getting taught in school. I hope you are aware of that. And it goes something like this. I'm gonna dig into just a little deeper. Religion can be privately and subjectively helpful. In your private life, in your subjective life in your mind, the religion you adhere to, whatever it is, that may be helpful, that may be comforting, but objectively, out in public, out in the world, there can't be just one right way to talk about or think about God in spiritual reality. Why not? Well, this view goes, well, you know, God and spiritual reality are just too big for anyone to describe in a set of propositions, it's just too big for anyone to describe in a set of beliefs. Therefore, no one can say this is the right way to believe. So religion is subjectively privately helpful but publicly it can't be objectively true no one religion is the right one therefore they have to all be equally valid and true and we all have to say that so we can all get along so we can all be inclusive so no one will get left out now two things I want to show you about this and we're going to go kind of deep here thinking some of you may need to put on your floaties not sure Uh, but real quickly as I wrap this up The claim that all religions are the same is philosophically hypocritical. Think about this logically. How could all religions be equally valid? If they are, there's only really two possible premises. It might be true that all religions are equally valid if there's no God and everyone's version of God is just a projection from their own minds which is what some people think. Or it might be true if God is so impersonal that this God doesn't care what you believe. To say that all religions are equally valid even though they have these mutually exclusive contradictory claims would only be true if there is no God or if there's an impersonal God who doesn't care. Here's the thing, I want you to listen carefully. If this is your view and you come to Christians and you tell a Christian, you shouldn't believe that you have the one religion. You should believe that all religions are ways to God. All religions are equally valid. All religions are helpful. If you come to someone and say that what you are actually doing is saying this: I have a particular view of God, because again, to say all religions are valid assumes a view of God. I have a view of God, a particular view of God, and Christian, you must adopt my view. You must abandon your view. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, what, what are you, what are you doing? Are you being inclusive? No. What you're saying when you say that is I have a take on God, I have a take on a spiritual reality and the world needs to adopt mine and you should abandon yours. What do you do? You're proselytizing me. You're ruling me out of bounds. You're trying to convert me. You're saying my view is right and your view is wrong. My take on spiritual reality is correct and yours is incorrect. What is that? That's exactly the same thing that you're telling Christians they shouldn't do. You're making a claim. And the only difference between you and Christians is you're not gonna admit it. You're pretending that you are neutral. See, my point is, if it's narrow and wrong to say there's one true religion, then it's also narrow and wrong to say there's one true way to think about religion, and that happens to be, of course, my way. So, secondly, this will probably shock some of you. The claim that all religions are the same Is culturally imperialistic. You see, it's not just logically inconsistent to say this. It's also culturally narrow to say, you know, no one should say they have the truth, the one true religion. You say, why is it culturally narrow? Well, Historically, the whole idea that religion is subjectively true, fine in your private life, but objectively you shouldn't talk about it out there in the public because you know, morals and religions are only subjectively true, never objectively true. This is based on a philosophical uh, understanding of you called the fact-value distinction. And the fact-value distinction is that science gives us facts, and those are things we can talk about in public, But values and morals and religion are private because nobody can decide what's wrong. Those things are always subjective. Now, here's the question. Where did that come from? Well, it comes historically from the European Enlightenment of the 18th century um, from philosophers like Immanuel Kant. Some of you will know about this and care about this. Others of you won't, and that's fine. But here's the thing you need to know. Most of the world does not believe that. Most of the world does not believe that facts are objective and values are subjective. You know who believes it? White people believe it. White European people believe it. It comes from the European Enlightenment. And and when I hear people say the world's getting more secular, more pluralistic, you know, Christians need to give with a program. Only white people are getting more secular. It's not true in the rest of the world. In most of the world, Christianity, Islam, all kinds of Orthodox religions, and most of the rest of the world are growing by leaps and bounds. And so when someone in our culture says, you know, get with the program, what they're actually saying is, get with my program, and they're imposing that in an imperialistic way on the rest of the world. When someone says, you know what, you need to get on the right side of history, which by the way is a philosophy based on the thinking of a guy named Hegel, just a philosopher, when someone says that, you know, your morals are primitive when you say you believe that religion is, your religion is right, when you say that, you are imposing your views on other people. And it fundamentally is an egregious act of cultural imperialism that says, you know, we European types are right, the rest of you are wrong. Do you understand? Do you see that to say no religion is right, all religions have truth, the the truth, equally valid, no one can say Jesus is the truth, when you say that, you are being exclusive and narrow, logically inconsistent and hypocritical culturally imperialistic, incredibly ethnocentric. And one of the problems I will tell you is that I've seen most people won't stay still even for the handful of minutes that I just took trying to explain that all of us are making exclusive truth claims. I'm gonna leave you with this. To say that no one should make a universal claim, that's a universal claim. You're refuting yourself to say that nobody should decide they have the absolute truth. Well, you just made an absolute statement. You're refuting yourself. The thing is this, everybody makes exclusive truth claims, just some people don't realize they're doing it or they won't admit it. And here's why I'm telling you all of this. I'm telling you this to encourage you to be bold. I'm telling you this to say to you, don't let people who say they're open-minded and tolerant shut you down as they make their own exclusive claims. We live in an age where secular thinking has become dominant and part of how that has happened and part of why secular thinking maintains dominance is is the claim has gotten established and so many of us have believed that secularism is a neutral, like there's all these religions and then there's secularism and all the religions are responses to that. No, no, everybody's religious. Everybody's created in the image of God. Everybody has a faith. Everybody pushes their point of view. Secularism is a point of view and it is actually finally for so many people a religion. We're all approaching this from the same starting points and as Christians we not only have the mandate of God but we should have the intellectual freedom to make the claims that our Lord and Savior made and we can make them with humility, we can make them in love and we can trust God to do his work. Why? Because we have the gospel and the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation everyone to everyone who believes. See, the reality is when you get down to it, Christianity is the most inclusive faith. You say, what do you mean? Well, the truth is this. In Christianity, everyone's welcome. Everyone comes the same way. Rich, poor, whatever your ethnicity, smart, not so smart, doesn't matter. Everyone comes through Jesus Christ. And here's this, everyone can meet the requirement. No one is excluded. The entrance requirement to Christianity is simple enough for every person to to meet. All you have to do is believe trust so we're gonna learn over these next few weeks how to tell people about what god has done in our lives and isn't he good hasn't he done amazing things in you we're gonna learn how to tell them and we're gonna learn how to do it with gentleness and love and humility and kindness just like god has been all those things to us amen would you bow your heads as we pray together